We've been in this series uh, called New and Improved. We're going to finish it up this morning. Can I pray for that? And uh, we'll get going. Hey, God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word now and to talk about the exciting things that you have on our horizon as a church as we talk about uh, the new things you have in store for us. Uh, Knit our hearts around your vision. Knit our hearts around your purposes. And keep us mindful, God, that this life with you is new every morning. You bring us new mercies every morning. You bring us new opportunities every day. And we want to meet you in the stuff that's new. So as I speak, get me out of the way. Speak in my place and lead us to your new. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been around for this series, uh, we've been going through uh, some follow-up material in our life groups and been talking through this concept that the life that we have with Christ, if you and I have put our faith in Jesus Christ, this life that we have with him is uh, characterized by the new. The first week we talked together, we said, uh, from Second Corinthians, that we are new creations. The oldest passed away, and behold, all things have become, say it with me, new. And so th- th- this is new life that we live. We talked the next week about how we've been given a new commandment, to love one another. Not just like we want to love one another, but to love one another as Christ has loved us. The bar went up that week. We understood that love uh, it, it requires much of us, and it brings much to us as we seek to honor him, our God by loving him and loving others. Uh, The next week we talked about this new commandment. Jesus was sitting at the Passover meal with his friends the night before he was to be crucified. He says, uh, hey, I'm I'm switching all of the the meanings of these elements, these these uh, pieces of the the Passover feast. I'm gonna make them about me from now on. It was uh, something that we just take for granted because of our Christian faith. We're just kind of used to it. But back then that would have been jarring for all these good Jewish guys uh, to hear Jesus say, hey, we're flipping Passover. It's going to be about me. It's every time you take the, uh, the bread from now on, I want you to think about my body that is broken for you. And when you drink of this cup, this cup of wine, I want you to reflect on my blood which is shed for you. And then it's in my blood that this new covenant is going to be wrought. It's going to be brought about. Jesus was talking about his gospel replacing the old covenant and the old system, which was the Jewish faith. He's, he was saying, listen, I didn't come to wipe everything out that we've been doing for thousands, or thousands of years, but I, I want to finish what we started in the sacrificial system by giving myself as a sacrifice. We understood then that uh, everything shifted from being about the rules, which the Jews had um, mistakenly made their entire faith about. Just keep the rules, do the law, do what we're supposed to do. Uh, the rules then became pointers to the greatest commandments, which, which was, again, to what we talked about it the week before, to love. In fact, all the rules, if you look at them, they just help us understand what love is supposed to look like. Serve, that's one of the things that God asks us to do in his word. Why do we serve? So that we can love people and love our God in doing so. Give, it's one of the things the scriptures ask us to do. Why do we give? Why are we generous? To love people and to love our God in doing so. Now, all of the rules point us to the greatest rule, which is to love. Last week we talked about this new hope that we have. I thought it was appropriate to kind of shift gears. And as uh, Irma passed through, talk about God's amazing grace in the midst of our storms. Isn't that great that God carries us through whatever we face in life? Is anybody excited about that this morning? Is that a good thing? I I agree with you, and we talked about that last week. Today, uh, today we want to talk about one more thing, one more new thing as it's spoken of in Scripture. And today we're going to talk about new wine. And some of you are like, awesome. Are there free samples? No, it's not this kind of church. Anyway, uh, (laughs) turn with me to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to hear Jesus talk about some wine. Uh, some context, uh, Jesus is early on in his, his uh, beginnings here of his ministry years, three and a half years he basically spends 
with 12 guys and several others who followed him all over Israel, uh, teaching them, preparing them for the day that he would no longer be with them as he was crucified, spent 40 days hanging out with them, and then resur- or, um, uh, lifted up into heaven. He was resurrected, and then he ascended into heaven. So, so he was spent three and a half years, basically, without these guys fully catching on, training them for the work uh, that would begin in the church age. And so he just called his disciples. He actually just called one of them, just verses prior to this, a guy named Levi, the jeans guy. Yeah, he, uh, he, uh, he was actually a tax collector. If you had a, you know, I don't know if you've ever gone to like a class reunion, but, or, or, or were part of your yearbook when you were a senior in high school, but there was like most likely to succeed and most likely this and most likely that. Levi would be least likely to be chosen to be anybody's disciple. He was a tax collector. He was, uh, you know, hated, reviled in his culture. And Jesus walks up to his table and says, hey, you're perfect. Come on, follow me. And Levi is uh, dramatically converted, leaves the tax collecting business, has this huge party for Jesus, and all of the, uh, the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they're like, what are you doing with Levi? He's scum. And Jesus says this famous line, I'm paraphrasing, he says, listen, doctors aren't here for healthy people. Doctors are here for the sick, yo. That's very paraphrased just then. <laughs> but he says, you don't get it, everybody's sick. Levi's most obviously sick maybe in our culture, but you're just as messed up as him. And I came for all y'all. I'm here for everybody. Making house calls. The story uh, continues. Some scholars think that maybe it's a separate time now that we're talking about it. I like to think that this is uh, probably at the same feast that has, be, has been given by Levi in the honor of Christ. Uh, and this is what happens. There, uh, there was other people there. It was an in-town feast, and people are kind of wandering by as a Everybody was having their, their dinner, and it says that John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Well, who's John's disciples? Well, in this context, it's around the time of, uh, of history where John the Baptist, uh, who was the, the forerunner, the precursor to Christ coming on the scene, uh, he still has lots of followers, lots of people who are uh, walking in his ways. He was their rabbi. And so uh, these disciples of John, these followers of John the Baptist, uh, were fasting, just like the Pharisees were fasting. Uh, it had become a tradition in the Jewish culture through uh, many, many years of things kind of becoming part of the scene that uh, you would fast twice a week. If you were serious about following God and honoring him, twice a week, Mondays, Thursdays, sun up to sundown, no food. It wasn't a crazy diet. No one was trying to lose weight. It was just uh, this was what we wanted to do or what they wanted to do to show that their allegiance was, was God. They wanted to honor God. And so uh, in their piety and their self-righteousness and their religiosity, uh, they decided to fast twice a day. This, I, I call it piety and self-righteousness and religi- religiosity because their scriptures only required one fast a year. In Leviticus chapter 16, uh, verse 30, when it talks about the Day of Atonement, it, it requires all Jews uh, to, to basically abstain to afflict themselves, the, the scriptures translate the Hebrew word. And that's what we understand to be fasting. Once, once a year, uh, one time a year, the, the Jews were meant to fast. But through the Jewish history, they'd fasted for different reasons, this and that, and fasting isn't bad in our, our time and age. But what these, these Pharisees, and, and consequently the disciples of John had done, is they looked at the Pharisees to be their template for you know, true religion and true faith, that they had basically adopted these means by which they could separate themselves from the rest of the pack. Well, we're going to you know, load up on Sundays and Wednesdays, and then we're going to just kind of let it coast on Mondays and Thursdays, and we'll be the really spiritual ones. 
wasn't required by Scripture, but it was required by them. I'm so glad that that's not a part of the church anymore, that there aren't all these crazy ideas that are tacked on to what the Scripture says. We've been freed from that. Nobody's doing anything weird anymore. Isn't that great in the, in the age that we live in? Is anybody picking up the sarcasm that I'm throwing down right now? We do this all the time. We decided we're going to make our own roads to being righteous, and we decide that we're going to do this, and that's what's going to make us more godly than others. Uh, that's what these disciples of uh, John and the Pharisees were doing. And people came to them, and they said uh, to, to, to Jesus, they said, hey, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? What gifts? You're hanging out in the way that I see this text. You're hanging out with Levi, loser, and you're eating his food on Monday, and it's totally blowing our minds. And Jesus gives this response. He says to them, well, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom's with them? He says, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, in our culture, in our whatever, we're like, what? Because we don't understand the Jewish culture 2,000 years ago. Uh, people didn't take vacations 2,000 years ago in Israel. Uh, you were subsistence farmers. You, you had your businesses that need to stay open uh, every day, all day, except uh, for the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, everybody shuts down. No business, nothing happens. Uh, but then six days a week, you rocked it. There was no Saturdays. There was no paid vacation. No pita, uh, you know, personal time away or whatever. Uh, it was just work. And so when the wedding feast came, when the weddings in the communities of those days came, everybody was happy. You know why? Because it was the one time on the calendar that everybody could stop and just celebrate. Now, just so you know, weddings back then didn't last, you know, from 12 to 1 with a nice little cheese and, you know, whatever uh, hors d'oeuvres time after. It was a week-long melee. I mean, people just went bonkers. Uh, many, most of the times, think about it, if, if kids were betrothed to each other, uh, set up in marriage for years and years and years, this, this has been a long-anticipated wedding day. And the celebration would last uh, days on end. So it was everybody's break. And everybody understood in that culture, as long as there's a groom around, the party goes on. When the groom and the bride, obviously, take their leave, everything goes back to normal. But as long as the groom is in the room, let her rip. Jesus is uh, setting up an analogy that's going to be used over and over again uh, of him in his teaching and in our remembrance of him. He's, he's the groom. Who's the bride? How's it going? The church is the bride of Christ. And Jesus is saying for this time uh, to these uh, religious and pious, you know, uh, fasters, hey guys, this, this whole relationship with God thing, you got it wrong. It's not all about drudgery and, and you know, avoidance and prohibit, 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 uh, prohibition. How's your English? He says, no, it's about joy. And as long as I'm with my followers, there will be joy. In fact, he says in the next verse, verse 20, he says, These, uh, the days will come when, when the bridegroom is taken from them, and, and then they will fast on that day, read, then there'll be sorrow, then there'll be you know, uh, things to you know, be uh, fasting over. There will be affliction in those days. But He says, overall, man, this life with me, should be marked by joy. It's not what I want to preach on today, but it's uh, good to, for us to make this point. Uh, the Christ life is meant to be built on joy, not on duty. Now, I've told, told you this in other sermons, but let me say it one more time. The Christ life is a get-to, not a got-to. We just sang, or heard the choir sing a song about, I got joy. 
There's joy in my life because of Jesus. And I, I didn't grow up feeling that joy. I grew up uh, you know, going to church and, and feeling like, man, the Christ life's hard. I gotta work a lot to make sure I don't mess up. Because if I do, he's gonna smush me. And it's just hard. But then in my 20s, Eleanor and I uh, transitioned to a church that had a different style of preaching and a different message. And we learned about grace or I did at least, for one of the first times in my life. And then uh, this, this life that I've been called to in Christ is not this onus, this burden. It's not my obligation. It's my joy. It's my opportunity to live life with him. And my faith should show it. My life should show it. In fact, when, 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 I, when I lose my joy, it's probably because I've turned from looking at what God has done and is doing for me to what God, in my estimation, hasn't done and won't do for me. That's the joy killer. It's what leads us into any sin. Go back to the garden. How did Adam and Eve get pulled off sides? This serpent, Satan, comes into the garden, and he doesn't say, wow, look at all this great stuff that God has provided for you. God, in his infinite grace and mercy, has given you hundreds, if not thousands, of different food sources from these trees. No, he doesn't talk about all that God has given them. He comes to Eve, and he says, hey, is it true that there's this one tree in this entire forest of trees that God says you can't touch? What a bad God he is. Can you believe that he would withhold anything from you? Must be really good. Must be something that's going to send you over the moon. You should probably try some. And Eve took her focus off of all that God had given and was giving and focused instead on what God had prohibited and wasn't giving and sin came into the world. Can everybody follow my logic on that? Jesus over and over again, tried to explain to people, listen, it's not about you jumping through all the hoops to give yourself righteousness. It's about me coming and dying on a cross so that you can be imputed my righteousness. And when my righteousness comes to you, that's good. Put a smile on your face and live in the grace that only I can give. That's not what I want to talk about this morning. I'll finish by saying that we should live our lives in celebration of who Christ is and what he's done for us and in anticipation for what he's going to do for us. Can those be our two words today when we think about the Christ life? Celebration, anticipation. It's not a get to, it's a got, or it's not a got to, it's a get to. It's not a, a duty, it's our joy. But all, what I really want to talk about is what he said next. And that's basically this, Christ's life is always moving us from the old to the new and that's what we want to center on this morning in the time that I have left with you. Jesus says these words. He says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, uh, the new from the old, and the, uh, a worse tear is made. Jesus goes to the laundry to kind of expand on what he's taught them because here's what's happening. All these disciples are just, it's hard for us to appreciate, but they'd been living this way, functioning this way in the Jewish faith for their whole lives. Don't eat Monday, Thursday. That's the godly thing to do. And here comes this rabbi, this you know, this carpenter from, from Nazareth, he's apparently turning water into wine and, and he's, he's doing all these miracles and people are just clamoring around him because he's healing and he's doing all these incredible things. But, but he's completely flipping what we know to be true on its head and we don't understand this. And Jesus says, you know what, get used to it, fellas. I'm going to be teaching you lots of new stuff. I'm going to be pointing you in directions that you've never headed before. And we're going to have to leave a lot of your old assumptions about God so that we can head into the newness that I have for you. Uh, through faith in me. 
So he talks about this, this concept of God bringing out the new by talking about the laundry. As a young uh, husband, I, I, I tried uh, to do my best to pitch in where I could, but I, I, I don't have the same laundry skills as maybe as uh, others and, and the skills that I should have. I, I just distinguish between colors and whites, but there's certain things in that colors pile that should never go in the wash, like the cashmere sweater that my wife got. Uh, I put that in the wash one year and, and then sent it through the dryer. And if she was four, maybe she could have wore that sweater because it shrunk down to just nothing. Has anybody ever done this? Yeah. I just didn't understand that. Now, most of the people back in those days, because they only had one pair of clothes, they were very careful with that you know, one set of clothes that they had, and they would be sure never to do anything if they actually you know, did tear. They would be sure never to do anything that would actually exacerbate the tear. And so they knew if you're going to repair an old garment, you put an old patch on an old garment. You don't put a new patch on a new garment because the same principle is true. You're going to wash that thing, and when that new garment shrinks up, like it's, or that new patch shrinks up, it's going to pull that tear and make it even bigger. Jesus' point, don't mix the old with the new. If something's old and needs to be moved on from, let it go and move on to what's new. He's going to switch up from the laundry. He's going to go uh, to the liquor store. Here we go. <laughs> Anybody nervous? No one puts new wine into old wineskins, he says. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for what? Fresh wines. New wineskins. And he, he says, listen, everybody gets this. And don't think of, you know, I said liquor store. That was probably a little bit over the line. Everybody drank wine back then. It was a part of their culture, and they, everybody knew how to store it. They didn't have bottles or cans or plastic, and so they took the hides of animals, uh, lambs and, and goats that they would uh, slay, and then they would uh, basically sew up all of the parts that they could sew up so that they would become this you know, sealed container that they could pour wine into. But you never took an old carcass or an old wineskin and put new wine in it because wine's going to expand. Fermentation, science, right? Uh, even though they didn't understand exactly why, they knew it did. And they knew not to put the new wine in the old wineskins because the old wineskins had already expanded with an original batch of wine. And they had dried out over time. There was no more moisture in the skin, and it, it just wasn't going to expand anymore. That's why he just didn't mix the two. He, Jesus actually goes on. He says, listen, man, it's not just bad for you to put new wine in old wineskins because you're going to break the old wineskins. You're going to lose the new wine. Every, it's a total loss. Broken wineskin, wine on the floor. And his point is, listen, sometimes it's just time to let go and move on to what's new. He goes on, and let's just follow his teaching in the Gospels. He just does that over and over again. He gets the Sermon on the Mount, and almost every paragraph he preaches starts with, you have heard it said, but I say to you, here's something new. It used to be the temple model, but I give you this new commandment. It's going to be centered on my, my grace and my love for you and your love for each other. Since the beginning of the church, since the beginning of this gospel age, God has constantly been pushing his followers into what's new. And, and so this, this adage can be said, our, our mission and message never change, but our methods must. Our mission and message never change. Our mission is to go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded, and, and that's our mission. We, we say it around here, to, we, we exist to surrender to God so that he, uh, he can make disciples through us here and around the world. It's just our way of saying the mission. It's always been the mission. It's never going to change. 
The message is the gospel, that you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that saves mankind. That's our gospel. His sacrifice imputed to us, his righteousness ours by faith. So those things don't change. But the way church looks, the way the message gets out, that changes all the time. You're sitting in a church that about 25 years ago uh, was started uh, by uh, some faithful folks out of another church that had been started from another church in town. You're picking up a theme here. Uh, but the, 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 the startings of these church had been built or, or centered around some changes in how they wanted to do worship. Who grew up going to churches uh, with uh, uh, organs and pianos and choir robes and suits and ties? Of course you did. If you're a certain age, that's all there was. That's just, that was option A, B, and C. But now, we're coming and hanging out in a church. We're nice, you know, if you laid down on this front row, Brent, you could probably take a pretty good nap. Nice, comfy chairs, right? And, and I'm wearing jeans. I, you know what, I remember preaching in, at my church in Dallas. I was the first one at our church in Dallas, which was a contemporary church, but I was the first one in our church in Dallas in the mid-90s to walk out in a pair of jeans. It was scandalous. But I was preaching on, guess what, this passage. And I was saying, you know what's coming? You know, as a, as a 29, 30-year-old guy, Ben, you're going to start going to church, and you're going to wear jeans. And everybody in the crowd was like, no, that could never happen. I mean, I'll take the tie off, but I'm not wearing denim. <laughs> Denim's like two letters off a devil, right? I mean, you just can't do that. <laughs> and these are small changes, small alterations. The mission, the message never changed, but how we bring it to a culture. Listen, uh, there's been this invention called the Internet. Heard of it? It's revolutionizing, revolutionizing how we do church, how we do missions. It's always going to change. There's always going to be new. And the church of Jesus Christ must respond and follow God into the new. Now, just so we're clear, that doesn't mean that all of the old is bad. Does anybody still open their cans with one of these? Anybody? I do. Works fine. I don't need the fancy spin the can metal thing. This works just fine. And there's going to be certain elements in the church that don't need to change. I'm not saying that everything has to change wholesale, but the things that do need to change, we need to be willing to allow to change because it's not about our style or our methods. It's about the message and the mission, and that's where we need to put our focus. I grew up in a church where uh, someone had donated the, 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 the uh, uh, what do they call the box? The pulpit, thank you. Someone had donated the pulpit, and, uh, and, and my father wanted, it was huge. I mean, it covered the whole stage. And, and it was like, you know, the space shuttle pulpit. And, and, and my, my father wanted to move it so that we could, you know, become more modern. I mean, this was not a big deal. But the, the, the son of the man who donated the pulpit threatened to kill everybody in the, that's probably strong, but he, he threatened <laughs> He threatened to just, you know, go postal if, if, if we didn't. So, so what my dad had to do, he had to cut down, this was their arrangement, he cut down the pulpit into flower boxes so that in front of the choir rail, which was another, you know, five-alarm fire, um, the, the, the pulpit could still exist in the form of, you know, these flower boxes that held fake ferns. And uh, entire deacon meetings were, were spent on navigating a wooden box. Churches like that die. 
Uh, may we never be a church that gets fussed out about our methods. May we hold on to our message and our mission and go wherever God leads us. What's the, the, so, so new is this thing that just should mark the church. What are the natural enemies of new? The natural enemies of new are two things in my estimation. First, nostalgia. Nostalgia basically says things were better the way they were. I just liked how things used to be. You know, that came out in some of our, our, our surveys that we had. And, and listen, I'm not like the can opener. I'm not saying that those things that used to be aren't good and still useful in certain contexts. My goodness, we could go out of here and step back in time, as it were, method-wise, into a lot of great churches in our community who do it like they used to do it, even today. But if doing it the way we used to do it supersedes in our minds doing it how God wants us to do it, problem. We don't worship those methods. We don't worship nostalgia. We move forward. Because like I said, if we don't, things die. Like I said this last night, um, this is a very old statement. I think I'm going to get on my Blackberry and call down to Blockbuster (laughs) to see if they have the movie that I want. And then once I pick that, I'm going to head over to Borders. Uh, But on the way, I'm going to get out and I'm going to take some pictures with my Kodak camera. These are all companies, if you're not familiar with them, because they died before you were of a certain age to know who they are. But they all died because they didn't change. They didn't understand what was coming ahead of them. Now, I'd love to detail every uh, case for you. I read them all in this business journal. Fascinating stuff, but they all are, they had this one thing in common, they didn't change. And churches that die, did you know uh, this coming year, they estimate between 8,000 and 10,000 churches in America will shut their doors? Now, I'm not saying it's all because of nostalgia, all because they won't, you know, change and be, uh, be willing to be, go where God wants them to go. But I'm saying a bunch of them, that's the case. And that shouldn't be the case. Because it shouldn't be over my dead body that we do something different in the church, ever. Non, uh, uh, nostalgia is one of those things. And then this is probably the more insipid or the more uh, scary of, of the two things that keeps the new from coming in. Nonchalance. Nonchalance isn't saying I like the things the way they used to be. Nonchalance is basically focused on the presence and saying things are fine the way they are. It's nostalgia before it becomes nostalgia. Whenever we get kind of comfortable in who we are and how we are, (laughs) things are beginning to trend in a dangerous direction. I call this the good enough syndrome. And it's easy to have happen in a church. Uh, It's almost been two years ago now that we got out of debt as a church. We did this thing called Rise Up. Isn't that still amazing? We're not, we don't have debt as a church. It's just an amazing thing. Uh, But we've been living in this undebtedness or no debt situation for two years now. And I'll confess to you as your pastor, that's something that concerned me for my first, you know, 10 or so years of being your pastor. And and when it finally passed, it was one of the best days of my, uh, you know, tenure living here, being here and being your pastor. We're out of debt. When Tom came into my office and said, hey, I sent the last check to our mortgage company, I was like, good, I'm going to heaven right now. Just Lord take me. Uh, Because it felt so great to have been able to do that with you and to see God make that happen through us. But you know what happens after you finish a big thing like that? You just kind of were like, all right, cool. We we have, you know, more resources to do different things. We uh, we did some noticeable things. We painted our building, they're blue now, 
we, we did some other things. We, we were able to support some different things here and there. We were, we were freed up to do some stuff. But then, you know what? Six months into us being out of debt, it became normal. You're just like, okay, cool. And, and, and the tendency in your pastor's thinking was like, well, we'll just keep going. And I know there's other things that need to be coming up, and, but, but it's just easy for me to kind of fold my hands, take a breath, and say, good enough. Now, recently I was reminded of one of my favorite portions of Proverbs. Solomon's writing to his sons, the princes of Israel, and he says, hey, guys, don't ever say good enough. He talks about the animal kingdom. He says, go to the ant in chapter 6 of Proverbs. You sluggards. I picture him saying to this to a kid who won't get out of bed for school in the morning. <laughs> go to the ant, you slugs. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long then will you lie there, you slug? When will you arise from your sleep? He's saying, hey, you got to have this internal clock, this internal motor, this connection with God and his Holy Spirit that's always in tune with what he's wanting next. Because if you just kind of say, you know what, good enough, here's what happens. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. He says, yeah, if we're not moving forward, if we're just kind of stopped, we're one step away from moving backwards. We gotta keep moving towards what God has for us. And so with the time that I have left, I wanna talk about some of those things that are in our future as a church. We should always, as a church, be looking out for who's next and what's next. Before I get to the what's next, can I just cover the who's next? Here's an alarming trend in all of churches. Did you know that uh, universally, or, or at least in, in the states, churches are declining in attendance? Ours is one of them. Not dramatically. But we are declining in the number of people who go to our church. And a lot of that can be attributed to online. I'd like to say hello to everybody uh, who is watching in bed. It's great to see you this morning. Um, would love to have you here, you know, if you can make it here. But certainly some of the, uh, uh, the, the ways that we're able to, um, you know, pipe our, our services enables people to watch them in different ways and in different times. It's fine. Uh, but, but across the board, churches are declining. You know, you know what I know what that is? You can talk about all the things that are going on, trending in our culture and all that stuff. But one of the, one of the sure markers of, of decline is that the people who are a part of the church just aren't concerned about it growing anymore. I'm not saying that that's us. I'm not saying that anybody woke up this morning and says, you know what, let's make sure, let's make sure we shrink Bay Life this year. You want to do that? Let's do that. That's our mission. Let's try to get as many people out of there as we can. No? But you know what it is? A little folding of the hands, a little slumber, we can stop thinking about our neighbors and their need for Christ. We can stop thinking about making a difference in the lives of the people in our community. We, we, we can just kind of forget the mission, which isn't supposed to stop with us. We're not meant to be ponds. We're meant to be rivers. The grace of God is not, not, not meant to flow into us and just kind of stop and bog down there and get rotten. It's meant to flow to us and through us to a world that desperately needs Jesus. And so if you haven't compiled a list of people that you're praying through for God to use you to reach them for Christ, do that this morning. If you don't hear anything else that's said this morning, start there. Because you should always, as, as just a, a matter of following Christ, be ready for the who's next in your life. Who's next for me to serve? Who's next for me to share Christ with? Who's next for me to invite the church? Who's next? And how will God use me in their lives? I met this guy at the golf club that I play golf at. I invited him to Alpha. Did not go well. 
Initially, he said, sure, I'll go. But then he looked up Alpha online, and he figured out it was a very Christian organization. And, and uh, he doesn't, he's, he's, an, he's like an antagonistic atheist. Uh, doesn't want anything about Jesus. So he kind of, you know, we're, we're just becoming friends. And he's like, dude, what are you doing? I said, I'm a pastor, bro. You know I'm a pastor. I work at a church. What do you think I was asking you to, right? He's like, yeah, but it's gonna, they're just going to come, you know, they're just going to, you know, put the hot light on me and shove bamboo shoots under my fingernails until I trust Jesus. And I'm like, no, it's not that at all. It's not how we roll. But I, I, after a while, this is all in text. I'm after all, I'm like, bro, you don't have to go to Alpha. I'll see you Tuesday. Relax. We're going to have to go another way with this guy. But you know what? I'm not like, well, I tried. I'm going to continue to build my relationship with him. He's who's next in my life, among others. Who's yours? You should already be ready, always be ready for who's next and what's next. Well, let's talk with the rest of our time about what's next. Uh, the what's next in our, uh, our upcoming uh, years, our year together, is so exciting. I'm going to be talking more about it in January. Uh, we're going to give you a, a more comprehensive picture of what's going on as uh, we uh, unfold our hands and get going in serving God and what the, the new is for us. Uh, one of the things uh, we already know is going to happen, we're going to partner with the Women's Resource Center, which is a ministry right here on our campus. Uh, with them, they've already received uh, a, a metal structure building that's sitting in our prop. You wouldn't see it if you weren't uh, back there, but up back there in the corner, it's already sitting there. Uh, just waiting to be erected. They're raising their funds. We're going to contribute portions of our funds, move our counseling center and our, uh, um, no, mostly our counseling center up there uh, and, and par partner with them. That's a new project that's, that's kind of a side thing we don't even have to really talk to you about, about as far as raising funds or anything like that. It's just something that God has done. Yay, God, for that. And we're going to see some new structure here in our, in our, on our campus in, in 2018. Uh, I'll talk to you some, about some other things that we're excited about God doing in, in our uh, church proper stuff here. But one of the things that God has done in light of these uh, eight to 10,000 churches closing uh, every year, he's given us a passion to revitalize churches. And if you've been around here for the last 16 months, you know that we've already started doing this. There's a church, uh, there's Baylife Kingsway and Baylife MLK. There's a church called The Chapel up off of Martin Luther King there in Sefner that's been ours and we have been theirs uh, for these past 16 months. Uh, we are... Just now, get this, we've done this thing for 16 months, it's grown by five times, but we haven't really done anything purposeful to get it to where, uh, you know, we're going to launch this thing, and that's, that's coming up in February of 2018, uh, and, and we're so excited to actually get going with what we've already gotten going with. Uh, but we know that there's some things that need to happen for us to be successful in serving Christ uh, through this revitalization work, and so we're going to talk about that with the time we have left. Uh, meet some of the, uh, the people who serve God for Baylife and for his kingdom down at the chapel. Hey Baylife, so glad you're here. We're talking about the chapel today. I'm so excited about this unique opportunity that God has given us to expand our ministry and to live out his vision for us as a church as we make disciples here in our community. It's my pleasure to introduce to you the leaders that God has blessed us with in serving at the chapel. Hello, I'm John Weaver. I am the pastor at the chapel, a ministry of Baylife Church in Mango, Florida. My name is Ben. I'm the family ministries director at the chapel. The chapel is a church um, that is about its community. There's, there's a great amount of poverty. There's a lot of stigmas that are attached to that particular area. We believe that we are positioned perfectly at this time to change that culture, um, not just to make it a better place to live, but that we can make disciples where God has planted us there. 
what it looks like to, to make disciples in Brandon is different from what it looks like to make disciples in Mango. We um, need missionaries. We need people to put on their, their proverbial work gloves, so to speak, and, and be busy doing what God has called the, the universal church to do. Practically, we need people to love on and care for kids and teach our children. We need people to uh, step up and be able to um, greet people as they come through the door. It's about making a difference. It's about changing a culture. And the hope is, is that God would impress upon you uh, to prayerfully consider how you can partner with us to do the things that he's called us to do in the Sefner and the Mango area. Jesus once said to his disciples that the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. This opportunity that we have together as a church to expand our ministry through the chapel, it's a great potential harvest. And I know that there's many of us that God could use in making this dream a reality. My prayer is that today he speaks to many of you and that together we would see God's vision for the chapel become a reality. Morning, Bay Life. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is John Weaver. I've served in our culture here at Bay Life for uh, a long time. My wife and I started coming uh, the summer of 2004. Um, you volunteer at any church for long enough, and they'll put you to work. So they hired me the first part of 2005. For a lot of those years, I served as our life groups pastor here, and uh, just enjoyed what God was doing through me, through our ministries here. But there was something happening in my heart. And I couldn't suppress it any longer. It was going into the summer of 2015. I went to Mark and Tom and our elders, and I said, I believe that God's calling me to kind of step back from what I'm doing here to go back to school, uh, to um, further study, uh, seminary studies, uh, to prepare myself to be a pastor of a church. And um, I, I was willing to walk away 100% from Bay Life in order to concentrate on those studies. Um, our pastors and our elders said, hey, we don't want you to go away. We want to partner with you and see what God's uh, got up his sleeve uh, for you, and we, we would like to celebrate in that with you and partner with you. So I started school, I started serving part-time in our counseling center here, and then, remember, that was summer 2015. The first part of 2016, this conversation started with the First Baptist Church of Mango, uh, the, the pastor who had been there prior to me had served there for almost 50 years, and, and, and him and his wife, uh, it was just the culture. They did a lot of the ministry and the things that took place in that church, and as they aged, God bless them. I mean, she's deceased. She passed away last year. Uh, he's, he's still uh, alive, living with his kids um, a little north of here, but, but there needed to be some new vision. There needed to be some new leadership, and Baylife Church prayed about that opportunity as to what we could do, and uh, Mark came to me early 2016 and says, you, you said you wanted to pastor a church, right? I was like, well, my timing was a little differently. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be this soon, um, but God has a way of opening doors, and, and looking back on that, the, the timing of that is, is unmistakable that God was preparing me uh, for such a time as this. So, so um, how did the chapel come to be? It didn't start 16 months ago, um, my first Sunday there. The church 
There was a church in Tampa called Belmont Baptist Church, and they had a dream and a vision for the Mango area, and they, they sent basically a, a good old-fashioned tent meetings, church, tent church meetings in the Mango area, and those went on through 1933. And then March of 1934, that church, First Baptist Church of Mango, was founded with 84 members. That's 83 years ago. So this isn't a brand new work. There was a remnant of folks that stayed around and kind of kept the things going at that church, but their heart and their prayer was that they wouldn't be a statistic and another church closed their doors. So what we're doing and what we've done for the past 16 months is we're coming alongside them to continue the work that God has done through them for the, for the past eight, eight decades and we're excited about what God's going to lead us to as we move forward. Um, so it started in 1934. It's always been a community-focused church. Um, they've had a Christian school there. Um, they were involved with I Am Hope Cafe, which many Bay Lifers were a part of that for a long time, serving and feeding the homeless in our area. Um, but then they partnered with us. And, and, and what that means is, is they gave us the property. It was a debt-free property, but they gave it to us. The downside is the property is, is old, and a lot of the buildings that are on that um, piece are dilapidated. There's foundational issues. Some of the uh, inspectors, the commercial gurus came in and basically says, a lot of these buildings, it would make more sense to tear them down and, and start over. So we got a little bit of challenges in our building, but here's one of the things that's presented itself. Um, l last year, um, after it became Bay Life Church's property and church, there was an investment company that came to Baylife and said, hey, we really love to buy that corner. You can imagine there's thousands of cars that pass there every day. And Mark shared this with you some months back. And the reality is, is there is an opportunity for us to sell that corner. The good news in that is we still have acreage behind the buildings that we utilize right now. So if that sale goes through, it could go through as early as March or April um, of, of this next year. Um, a couple things. It's, it's going to make us a homeless church, so, uh, meaning that we're going to have to rent a facility, whether it's a school or a storefront, and navigate a time. But here's, here's, the, here's the silver lining, that God would provide the resources through the sale of that corner to build a brand new facility, state-of-the-art, brand new, debt-free I don't know if you heard me, debt-free. So God has a plan. He's always had a plan. Nothing's ever caught him off guard. He's continuing to do a work in the Mango area. And, and so, so the chapel now, when I, um, uh, my first Sunday there of Mother's Day of last year happened to be my wife's birthday as well. So happy mother birthday uh, to my wife on that day. We, we showed up. I preached my first sermon there. There were 18 people in attendance and four of those was my family. <laughs> so recently, what does the chapel look like? We, on an average Sunday, run from 60 to 70 people. Uh, statistically, per capita, we're probably the fastest growing church in this area. <laughs> um, but God's doing a work there. We meet on uh, Sunday mornings at 1045. We have a prayer meeting, like a legit prayer meeting, on Wednesday nights at 630. And we seek God as we earnestly ask him to continue to lead us as a church. Because we think we have great ideas, but, but he knows best. So we lean into him and we ask him, Lord, lead us as we continue to make an impact in this community. We believe uh, that we're positioned for growth. Right now, in the past 16 months, we're doing what we can to build our infrastructure and build our service teams to be able to minister to the families that I believe that God will send us. 
Um, and, we, and we do that not by myself. Paul Humphreys, many of you know him. He's been around Bay Life Culture for a long time. He serves as our worship leader there. Uh, ben Deal, he has a heart for ministry. He, his undergraduate um, degree is in um, ministry. And he's the guy that used to bring the TV out on the stage. And he's partnering with us over there as well. So there's a team that God's assembling. So what are we moving towards? This is what we're moving towards. Um, if the sale goes through, um, we're going to need we're going to need servants because it, it takes people to be able to pull off a mobile church um, to be able to set up and tear down if that's what it is. And we don't have all the details of that, but be prayerful with us as to how God's going to provide for us during that season from the sale of a property to the building of a new worship center. So what's next? The truth is, is the chapel is only four miles away, but we are distinctly Bay Life Church, but we are uniquely the chapel, so our worship experience is a little bit differently. We have an organist and a pianist right now, a, a, a fabulous organist and a fabulous pianist, I might add. Are we going to add other instruments and band, that sort of thing? We can only do at this point what uh, we, the talent that God has sent us. So if you're sitting out there and you're sitting on a gift... Uh, we could certainly use you over there as God continues to build that ministry. So we're moving towards this. Um, well, the ne- what, what's next? So the, the what's next is what do we need now? We're praying, here's the key words, we're praying for servant-minded pioneers to help us to change the culture of the mango community. I've lived, growing up in Thanota Sassa, years later I lived in Plant City. I've, I've, I've skirted all around that community. I've lived in Brandon now for uh, 14 years or so. And the Sefner and the Mango area typically are the brunt of the jokes. I mean, you walk in that community, it seems like you're going to another country. There's a lot of poverty there. There's a lot of homelessness there. There's a lot of drug addiction there. There's a lot of needs in the schools in that particular area. Recently, I had a meeting with the um, Mango Elementary principal and the assistant principal, and we're building a relationship there. And we want to partner with them and serve them in ways that that, that will bolster th- that culture and, and that that environment, and I believe as we serve those kids and more and more people get into that school and others, that God will use that as an avenue just to minister to the culture and to change the culture. So it, our plan is coming up in February, we want to use the Super Bowl weekend as kind of a, a community launch time, but between now and then, we need servants to come alongside us to be able to do that well. So we want to have a blowout community outreach uh, party um, per se on that Saturday, and then we're certainly going to be inviting people to join us on Super Bowl Sunday, and that's something that we would ask that you would pray with us about. And, and the, the the point is is why do we need a church four miles away when we got a church right here? I believe that church is strategically positioned. To change that culture, not just to hold services on a weekend and prayer meetings on a Wednesday night, but to infiltrate that culture, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in that culture, so that that culture, because of God's grace and his mercy and his work, to change that culture so that it, it, it's like a, a, a lift, um, and that happens first and foremost in a spiritual way. So the question is, is would you prayerfully consider joining us in our efforts there. Oftentimes when we think about missionaries, what do we think about? Africa, right? South, South America, Central America, some remote part of the world. 
I believe my prayer is that God would call 75 or 100 of you to be missionaries with us just four miles away. You don't even have to move, but you can partner with us over there to see what God's going to do, and you can be on the front lines to do that. In your bulletin today, I want to just draw your attention. There's a brochure in there. If you'll pull that out, on the inside, there's some more information specifically uh, talking about the chapel, some of the things that are going on there. If, if you even want to just learn just a little bit more, there's an action step for you. On the back side of that brochure, there are two meetings that are set up for this week. It's, it's not a come to both of them, it's come to either or. So Wednesday night at 6.30, there's going to be a meeting at the chapel there in Mango. We would love for you to come and get your questions answered so that we can cast some more vision, a little bit more of the nuts and the bolts of what's needed there, what we're hoping people can join us in or the other meeting is next Sunday night at 6 p.m. You can sign up with this website that's there. You, you, it's, it's real easy. You go there, you sign up basically telling me what meeting you're interested in coming to, how many people are going to be joining you. And, and you're not signing on the dotted line, so to speak. Just come and hear. And maybe you're, you're going to be able to pray with us and, and partner us in, in that way. But maybe God would call you over there to serve with us to change the culture uh, in Mango. Again, the website's on the back. Please sign up and join us for one of these meetings. Right now, Mark's going to come back and join us on stage, and I've asked my family to come and join me as well so that you can put a name with a face. And my wife's name is Verdetta, uh, not Vendetta, but Verdetta. And, and look, I wear denim as well over at the chapel, so denim's cool at the chapel as well. And uh, I'm just grateful to be a part of what God's doing there. Can we give it up for John and Verdetta and the guys? Caleb, Joshua, great guys. Uh, so excited for what God has already done. 16 months into this thing, he's already done so much. We are so postured to see God do amazing things in our future. We are now at that next new part, which is prayerfully, as John just said, 75 to 100 of us saying, I'm in. I'll be a part of what God's doing over there so that this church can move forward and we can see uh, his spirit move in the Sefter and Mango area. So would you stand with me? We're going to pray for these guys this morning. Uh, if you would pray with me, not just listen to me, but pray with me uh, for the Weaver family, uh, for all who are serving at the, the, the chapel in Mango, for the church there, and for God's hand to be on them and on us as we continue to see him work in this new thing. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for John, for Fredetta and the boys, for um, the way that you've used him here over the years. I, I uh, still marvel with him at the unique timing, the way that you just ordered things for his transition and for this opportunity to come along uh, for the way you've developed him as a preacher and as a leader, uh, even in this uh, first year of him serving at the chapel, for the way, God, that you're going to uh, continue to just um, hurdle us forward in revitalizing this church. Thanks for us being able to partner with a church that might have otherwise closed their doors. Uh, thanks for us being able to go into a place like Sefner Mango, uh, where you're so desperately needed, just like you're needed everywhere, but so desperately needed uh, to revitalize a culture. Uh, we want to be used by you and for your glory, God. So together we pray for this work, for all that it will entail, for everything that it will require. Thanks for the blessings that you've given uh, to it already, uh, but Lord, bring more and bring your people, assemble your team, uh, continue, God, uh, to funnel folks from the community there, but especially from this community, this church, uh, use us uh, together uh, to see this, uh, your appointed vision uh, come to fruition. Uh, we're joyful, we're thankful, we're uh, celebrating and anticipating all that you have for us, God, in Mango, 
Um, bless the chapel, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for coming to church this morning. John and Burdett will be right down there. If you want to sign up, ask questions of them uh, about these meetings, please come and do that. Otherwise, have a great week, and God bless you.